So we're going to start a series, and I'm going to kind of explain it today um, as we go. But I want to ask you a question, and this is one of those feedback questions. And a lot of times I don't ask questions where you can throw something out and so no one ever wants to talk. But I want you to throw out some, some thoughts here. When you hear the word idle, as in I-D-O-L, not like my car is idling. When you hear the word idle, what, what pops into your mind? There's no wrong answer because it's whatever pops into your mind. So you're safe here. What comes in your mind? Do what? The question was, when you hear the word idle, somebody throws it out there, what image, images pop in your mind? What do you think? Do what? American Idol, okay, TV show. Okay, what else? Cars, money, boats, stuff. Okay. Come on, I know there's more thoughts in your head than carved statues, okay? Anything else? Does that cover it? I mean, that's, those are, I think we a lot of times think of things or we think of the carved statues, a totem, things like that. You know, when several years ago we had a group of students, we went down to uh, Brazil and we were doing a mission trip and the missionaries we were working with had a young lady that was um, like a teenage girl that was helping them translate the Bible into the, the Hunsrich, which is a dialect of German. And so it was the first time ever that the Bible is ever going to be in the heart language of the Hunsrich people. And so the missionaries have been working with her. It was this multiple-year process of getting several Bible stories in. And when our group showed up, we came in about the time where the missionaries and this relationship with this teenage girl and her parents was growing, and the family was starting to even ask questions about faith and Christianity because of what the, the teenage girl was doing. And so the missionary said, hey, I want you guys, your group, to go out. They live up on uh, the side of a mountain. I mean, there's no running water. They pump it out of a well. It's, uh, I mean, it, it's pretty uh, barren, pretty country-like. We want you guys to go out, and we're going we're gonna to paint their house and the reason why we're painting their house is, one, it needs it, but two, we just want to continue to invest in, in this relationship with this family as they're starting to ask questions about the gospel. So we took a group up and painted and got to know the family. Now, they didn't speak any English, and we didn't speak any Hunsrich, and uh, we had the missionary there translate, but, but we are just investing in them. But what was interesting was when you went into the people's house for, for lunch, and you could see in their living room, and you'd see it as you were painting outside, all through their living room were these icons on their wall uh, of saints that they worshiped. The lady, the mom, wore a medallion. This, was, this so was, was so foreign to me because it's not my culture. She wore this medallion that had a picture of a saint on it, and the missionary was telling us through her that, that she worships that, that, that priest. But what was so foreign to me was the picture of the priest that she wore was her actual priest at the church she went to. So I'd never even thought, I mean, I, I knew people that might worship icons or pictures or former saints or things like that, but not one that would like live down the road. And that was, that was where she was at. And so that was for me and for some of our students, man, a, a big picture and one that I, I think of when I hear the word idol. I think of that living room because there was all of these things that were a part of their worship experience. And it wasn't about God. It was about these images. Now, that, I think that probably makes sense to us when we think about other countries. You might think about, you know, someone in the, the jungle or the bush that is not in a civilized country, and you understand, oh, they have this thing that they've carved or they've made and they worshiped it. But that's kind of foreign, thinking of images and idols to our American way of life, you would think. But this picture right here, hit this, this slide. This picture 
is actually from a place down the road in Sugarland, Texas. It's a, a Hindu temple that's been built. There's 800 people that worship there. And in the Houston Chronicle, this article, I, I typed it out. This article was read. I want to read you what the Chronicle said about this temple being built. Optimistic that the temple's membership will continue to increase from 800. Murali, the gentleman in the picture, and other worshipers are already raising funds for renovations. The previous owners of the facility have the building rented for events until the end of December, and worshipers will be able to start cosmetic renovations like building an altar in the entryway hallway and putting up new decorations in January, Morelli said. By the end of 2016, here's what struck me. By the end of 2016, Morelli said he hopes that his worshipers will have about a million dollars raised to create a new entryway in the hall to serve as a sacred space for idols. Right now, statues of the idols are not in the main house, but in a separate single-story building on the property that looks like a one-bedroom house. And I read that, and it, I mean, it just grabbed me, because I'm thinking, these people are raising a million dollars to build a room for their statues. And that felt bad, because my house isn't anywhere near a million dollars for my kids and my wife. You know, I mean, They don't even have that kind of facility, that kind of, of lifestyle that these, these images that are worshipped are going to live in. Now, Scripture talks real clearly about idols. If you have your Bible, flip over to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at the Ten Commandments. If you don't know the Ten Commandments, I'm pretty sure you're at least familiar with them. Understand that, that God gave Moses these kind of ten uh, commandments on, on stone tablets and said, hey, this is the beginning of the law. This is, this is what you're going to do to understand the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. And, and they start this way. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall, make, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So God opens up these, this top 10 list with saying, hey, listen, you have no other gods before me. We're going to come back to that in a second. And I don't want any images. I don't want any symbols. I don't want you making anything that would represent me or anything that I've created. The problem was, and we see this, in fact, in the, in the Old Testament, you can go back and read the story, as God is giving the Ten Commandments to Moses to deliver to the people, he's up on the mountain, the people start taking all their gold earrings and gold jewelry and making a golden calf, an idol, to worship. So in great irony, God's up there telling Moses, hey, tell the people not to make any idols. And while he's saying it, they're down there making some idols because they don't know if Moses is coming back and they don't know what God is going to do. And in reality, it's much easier for us to worship things that are tangible. It is. It's much easier for us to go after and chase after things that we can see and things that we can touch and things that we can visit and things that we can point to. And the truth is, though, that the one true God is, is nothing of those things. The one true God we can't see, we can't touch. When you're in a conversation with a friend and, and you're having this faith conversation, they go, man, I'm just having a hard time believing. You're not able to go, well, hey, show up with me at Sunday at 11 o'clock at my church 
because God's going to be there. You're just sitting about the fourth row, and then he goes up on stage, and we worship him. And so you'll be able to, you'll, you can high-five him afterwards. You can ask him some questions. We don't have that opportunity because God is not confined to the things that we can understand. He's immeasurable. God can't be, he, he's so big, he's so majestic, we can't put him into something that could fit inside a million-dollar hallway in a temple. The creator is not going to become confined by the creation because he is too big for that. Because the moment that God, the creator, becomes confined to something that we can touch and handle and point to or wear, he becomes smaller than we are, and that's just not ever going to happen. And so we, have to, we understand God goes, listen, I don't, want, I don't want you to have any other gods before me. Now, when we hear that, I say we, when I hear that, I, I, I tend to think like in a hierarchical structure. Nothing else before God means God is number one. And as long as God is number one, everything will be okay. It doesn't matter what's two, three, four, five, and six, and seven. Now, when the people heard this commandment, they had just come out of Egyptian slavery. So you got to understand the context of where they're at. They've been in a place where there have been multiple gods that were worshipped. There was the God of the agriculture and the God of the hunt and the God of sex and the God of knowledge and all these other gods. And God is not saying to them when he says, you should have no other gods before me that I want to be number one and then everything else could be two, three, four, five, and six. The better translation, or not necessarily translation, the better understanding of that Hebrew word, when God says, I have no other gods before me, isn't above. It means I have no other gods in my presence. I don't want any other gods before me, around me, in the same conversation that I'm in. So it's not that God is one, and as long as God's one, then two, three, four, five, and six don't matter. God says, I am one, and two, three, four, five, and six better not come anywhere around me. Does that make sense? I don't want them in my presence because, because I'm God. Now, that's, that's hard for us sometimes because we don't recognize our idols. We don't recognize our gods because they go by other names than the Egyptian gods had. They don't, they're not steeped in the trappings of religion. For example, none of us in here will go this week to worship at the temple of the 401k doesn't exist. But yet there's probably people in the room that that has become an idol for you. It was a once good thing, not that you're saving for time, it's not a bad thing, but it's become something that you're pursuing. It's become something that dominates your decision making. Here's a a perfect example, a good illustration, if this might be an idol for you. If this month you put money into your 401k, but you didn't tithe, from a biblical standpoint, you're, you need to go home today and go, hey, this 401k may be an idol because it is dominating. It's de- making decisions for us based on how we're supposed to live. God's word says this, but I've said I'm going to do this instead of God's word. And God says that is an idol. That's something that's in my presence that you're giving equal or better value to than me, and I don't want it around me. But we're not going to that temple. We're not going to the temple for the goddess of sex where there's temple prostitutes like happened in the Old and New Testament. That's illegal. You know, we don't have that. But yet we have people that worship the God of sex. They're addicted to the internet. They're addicted to pornography. Their relationships and the the sexual relation between husband and wife is, is broken. It's skewed because of media and because of things that we've chased after for so long. It's caused us to see each other in a way that God never intended to see each other. 
And so we talk about idols, and we go, oh, we don't have any here. That's, that's third world country stuff. That's Old Testament stuff. Maybe that was Greek and Roman temple stuff, but that's not American. I want to I suggest to you that not only do we have idols, we probably have more than they did. And so the course of this series, we're going to look at four over the next four weeks, and we're going to avoid some of the ones that are big ones, especially in the teen world. We're not, we're not going to talk about drugs and alcohol, the, the God of the quick fix, which teenagers and adults worship. We're not going to do a, a, a week on sex. We're probably going to come back and handle some of those things later during this school year. We're going to talk about some things that, that are even more deceptive, some things that, that my, my prayer is that you're going to walk out of here going, boy, I never even thought that that could have been an idol in my life. And Satan has been so deceptive. It's been something that's affected your spiritual life. And we're going to pray that God shines light onto some of those things in our lives and the lives of our family and that we're able to do business with God to destroy some of those idols. Now, I want you to hear me say this before we get into, we're going to look in the book of Joshua. You can go to Joshua 24. We're going to be there in one sec. I want you to understand this. When God says, I don't want any, I don't want any other gods in my presence, it's not because he's insecure. It's not like God's afraid of something we're worshiping. The reason why God says that is twofold. One, because he's God and he's worthy of our soul affection. I mean, he is the only creator. Nothing else is worthy of our affection. And God says, hey, I, I am a jealous God. I, your love and your affection and your worship is rightfully mine. It's rightfully mine. Not, not jealous as in when we're jealous for something because someone has something that's not mine and I want it. God's jealousy is an okay jealousy because he says it's rightfully mine. I want back what belongs to me. But the second reason why God says I don't want you to have any other gods in front of me, I don't want you to have anything in, front of, in your life that you're worshiping instead of me, is because as the creator, he knows that those things will ultimately be unfulfilling for you. Those things that we're chasing after that we think are going to satisfy, God knows at the very end it won't be. Going back to a 401k, God knows that you can have the biggest 401k ever and you can retire and not have to worry ever again about finances, but it won't ultimately satisfy your soul. It won't give you the security that you're looking for. God knows that sex, which is a great thing, you all have teenagers, so you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, God created it as a great thing, but when we start chasing after it and it becomes the sole reason why we exist and becomes the thing that we, we think about day and night and the thing that causes problems in our marriage, the things that we're looking at on the internet and things like that, at the end of the day, it's ultimately unfulfilling. And here's how, here's how an addiction to pornography works. It works because you never reach satisfaction. There's always something else that there could be. And what happens is people get into softcore pornography, it moves to hardcore pornography, and it moves to things that, that, that if your friends and family found out about, they'd be like, wow, you are sick. But, but you have to have something because there's something else out there. You know why? Because it will never satisfy you. Never will. And God knows that. And he knows that the nice car or the raise won't be the thing that makes you go, hey, I've arrived, everything is good. Because God knows as the creator, the only satisfying thing is a relationship with him. And that's why he says, get everything out of your way that's in pursuit of that, that's in competition for that. Because your life will be better. So Joshua has a conversation with people. You go to Joshua chapter 24, the, the Ten Commandments have been given. The people have wandered through the wilderness of Egypt, 
And that generation that Moses led out of Egyptian slavery through the wilderness has died out. And Joshua, who has a book of the Bible named after him, becomes the leader of the Israelite people. And he's the one that, that crosses them over the Jordan River into the promised land. And they spend the better part of his life kicking butt and taking names of everybody that's in the promised land. He's been a great warrior, a great people. Israel's nation is being established. And in Joshua 24, we come to what, what is near the end of that story, end of his life. I got to flip there. And Joshua's going to give the people some thoughts. He goes back and he recounts back what God has done. And in verse 14 and 15, he says this. He says, now, this is the end of his, his speech. Now, therefore... Because of what God has done in the past, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Pretty famous passage. Again, the benefit that they had that we don't is when he talks about the gods beyond the river and he talks about the gods of the Amorites because of this idea of idols and things like that, they were very aware they could name those things. They could name the gods. They knew that there were astropoles and they knew that, that Baal was, was, people that was, a, was a fake god that they worshipped. They, they had those things and it was present in their mind, but we don't. And we don't think about it. There's a book called Gods at War I'm going to talk to you about in a second, written by a guy named Kyle Oudman. And I'm using his, this book as a, a big help through this series, uh, using some of the chapters as ideas, using some of the scripture and even some of the stories. And he, and he tells a story. He's a pastor. Kyle Adam tells a story about a, a family in his church who called him and said, hey, our daughter, a college-age daughter, is about to move in with her boyfriend. And uh, we've talked to her. We're not for her. Would you? She grew up in the, in the church. He was at. Would you call her and talk to her? And he said, yeah, I'll do that, of course. Uncomfortable, but, you know, I'll do that. Calls the daughter a couple times. She doesn't answer. He leaves messages. Third time he calls, she answers. And, and, he, and he knows, she knows why he's calling. He says, hey, I, you know, talk to your parents. They want to talk. And she said, I know, I know. She said, I don't know why they're making such a big deal out of nothing. And Adam on the phone said, he said, well, do you think that it's possible? Do you think it's possible that maybe you're making nothing out of a big deal? And she goes, well, I, no, I don't think so. And he said, would, would you mind if I gave you some reasons why I think this is a big deal. And he said, she just jumped in and started listing off several things that she thought he would say, this and this and this. And, and, and he interrupted her for a second. He said, you know, some of those things are true. I, I just want to know this. Have you, counted, have you counted the cost for this? What it's going to cost you? And she said, like, I mean, it's actually going to be cheaper because I'm going to be sharing an apartment. He said, I'm not talking about finances. He said, you know how your parents feel about this? She goes, Yeah. He said, you know, there's already pressure coming from them, and there's relational tension. When you move in, that relational tension, that pressure, it's probably not going to go away. It's probably going to get bigger. There's going to be a cost there. And you've got to be willing to decide, hey, is that cost worth it? Because this, this decision is going to cause some family issues for you, right or wrong. Whether you're right or they're right, it's going to cause some issues for you. And she said, yeah, yeah I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, I, I knew. I just figured it'd go away. And he said, what about the cost to your future marriage? And she stopped and she said, well, I'm not sure I'm going to marry the guy. And he said, well, well, I know. And statistically, you're probably not. I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about your future husband. And the cost that's going to be delivered to him when he knows that you've lived with another man and 
been intimate with another man and have stories with another man? Have you thought about the cost there? And she said, well, you know, honestly, I hadn't. He said, what, what I'm suggesting to you is that this is a big deal because there's a lot of costs that you haven't thought through. And he said, at the end of the day, what it sounds like to me is you have God on one side and this boyfriend on another. And the things that we sacrifice for and the things that we pursue after are ultimately our God. And it sounds like you know what the Word of God says and you're choosing to sacrifice and pursue something different. And the Scripture calls that idolatry. And idolatry is a very big deal. And she said, as we probably would have, I've never thought of it that way. I've never thought that living with my boyfriend or doing everything I can to make my 401k bigger, doing everything I can to make sure that my child is at the upper level of the elite sports thing that they're in might be idolatry because we're sacrificing and pursuing it over God. We've looked at it as oh, not a big deal, and God says, oh, no, no. It's a very, very, very big deal. And so we jump back to Joshua, and Joshua has this discussion with the people. And he says, listen, you need to choose what you're going to do. And that's why we're at this. We're going to talk about, like I said, next couple weeks, four different things. But we're going to choose this morning. We're going to choose before we even enter these four things if we're even going to be open to what God may say, because some of them are going to be very uncomfortable. There are going to be some things that God may shine a light on your life that you go, man, I liked it better when that light wasn't shining there. I liked it better when I didn't realize this was an idol. And so this morning and through the course of this week, we're going to kind of journey through Joshua 24 and go, hey, are we ready to choose? But Joshua gives some ideas. He says, hey, choose you this day who you're serving. And option number one, he says this. He says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day you serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river. He goes back to, to Egypt. Maybe even going back to Abraham's family that, that worshiped idols. And he goes, you know what? You can choose to, to worship the God of your fathers. In fact, if we don't choose, there's a pretty good chance that that is who we will worship. I mean, you remember the time, right? When you had, the first time that you said something to one of your children and you realized that it wasn't you that said it, it was your mom or your dad, right? You said the exact same thing. You went, I swore I'd never say that. You know, I would never do that. We do things that our parents influence us. Our parents are the primary influencers on us. You're the primary influencers on your teenager. Not the small group ministers, not me, not even their friends. And you will grow up, and you've grown up, and they'll grow up to be adults that do a lot of things similar to their parents. And some of them are silly. Like for me, for, I don't know what it is. It's just been ingrained in me. And it, I know it came from my mom. In our household, whenever I open up the last thing, I open up the last thing of soap, I go immediately and put soap on the list. If I open up the last gallon of milk, I put milk on the list because that was the way we did it in our house and it was ingrained in us. When you open the last thing, put it on the list so that it'll be there before this is out. Now, my wife grew up in a family that's totally different than that. And so it was some of those fearful moments in my life when I realized there's no toilet paper on the roll because if I pulled the last bag out, it went on the list. But I'm sitting there thinking, I may be in a lot of trouble here because she may not have she may not have put it on the list. I may be waiting until she gets back from Walmart, you know, sitting here, legs going numb. I mean, that, that's just the way that I was raised, that she was raised differently, like her parents and my parents. But spiritually, it's true as well. If you, if you believe and you live out in front of your teenagers that being a part of the local body, being a part of corporate worship is a priority, 
Guess what is most likely going to happen to your grandchildren? They're going to be involved in a local church. If your kids see you reading God's word on a regular basis, there's a greater likelihood that they're going to be, grow up to be young adults who love God's word and live by it. If you pray together as a family, guess who's probably going to pray with your grandchildren? The children you're praying with now. And the, the, the reverse of that is true. If you grew up in a home where money was an issue, where money was pursued, it's probably an obstacle or an idol for you. And it will more than likely be one for your kids. You know, I mean, statistics tell us this. There's a study done in 2005. If you're a product of divorce, I am, you have a 40% greater likelihood to be divorced. Because my parents are divorced, I have a 40% greater likelihood to be divorced. If your parents were divorced and remarried, that percentage goes up to a 91% greater likelihood. Between my biological mother, biological father, Amanda's biological mother and biological father, we have five divorces and remarriages. So I don't even want to know what the statistics on that are. That's crazy, right? But the statistics say that's not, that's not scripture. We just know that we're influenced by that. And so what you are doing today and this week, when you choose to open up that yap and have a spiritual conversation, you're not just investing in your own kids, you're investing in your great, great, great grandkids. You're setting up some things that, that, that will affect your teenagers as they grow up to be adults. But, but for Joshua's people, it's totally different. They didn't have that faith heritage. Their families, they, they worship the other things. And Joshua says, hey, you can go worship those things. Make the choice. Go do whatever your family did. If church was kind of an okay thing, then, then do that. Just make the choice and do it. He says, or, or serve the gods of the Amorites in whose country you live. That was their culture. He says, look around you. Well, we've kind of pushed people out, and we've, 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 we've taken this land that God has given us, but we're, we're, we see all the ramifications of the culture around us, all the people worship. I mean, you live in a culture that is chock full. I'm talking to you, not Joshua's, but chock full of gods to worship. The God of tolerance, the God of whatever makes you happy, sexual ethic, the God of pleasure, the God of the quick fix, the God of success, they're all around us. I mean, going back to that story that Kyle Alleman told, we make a decision every day. Our teenagers grow up in a culture that tells us something about things like homosexuality that is very different from what God's Word says. And to be culturally hip, you'd have to land in this area. To be intellectually persecuted, to be looked like a bigot, you land in this area, what God's word says. But it's the same thing. We choose. We choose. Am I going to pursue and sacrifice for the gods of my culture or the transcendent word of God? Joshua says, hey, you get to choose. Choose the gods before. Choose your culture. He says, or you can do what we're going to do, what me and my house are going to do. We are going to choose and we are going to worship the Lord. We're going to wipe out the idols of our fathers and the idols of our culture. And we're going to pursue and sacrifice for the one true living God. And here we are, several thousand years later, getting to make the same choice. And again, we're going to have some that we highlight. So I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things this week in preparation for the next few. One, I'm going to ask you, and for you and as a family, to pray that God would begin to open up your heart for what he's going to do. So we're, it's going to be very easy. 
It would be very easy next week to talk about one of these idols and you walk out and go, oh, that was interesting, and not even realize if you're not being sensitive to the Holy Spirit that God was going, that was for you. That wasn't for your neighbor. That wasn't for the guy in your small group. That was for you. And so I'm going to ask you to, to pray this week to figure out a way. Maybe it's before every meal. Maybe you say, hey, every time I get in my car this week, or maybe I'm going to set an alarm on my phone to go off a couple times, but I'm going to specifically on my own and as a family, we're going to begin to pray that over the next month as we journey through this and we talk about it at home and we talk about it here, that God would soften our hearts to hear what he wants to tell us. That we wouldn't be able to walk out of a five-week series and go, oh, it was interesting, I learned some stuff. But that God would change us. That we would be, that we would be drastically different than we were before. Here's the second thing. Pray that you, that you pray, I ask that you pray through some exploratory questions. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put them up here in a second. And actually at the end of the day, I'm gonna throw them back up here. If you wanna take a picture of them. So David, when we're done, as they go to small groups, you'll leave them up there. But go ahead and put them up now. What disappoints you? What do you complain about most? Where do you spend your money? What worries you? Where is your sanctuary? What infuriates you? What are your dreams? There's seven of them. It might be something you take each day. And that today you go and you go, you know what, God, I'm just going to talk to you and I'm going to spend some time thinking about what, what are the things that disappoint me? It doesn't mean that when you're disappointed you have an idol. It means that when you're disappointed you could have an idol. There could be something that you're chasing after and when you don't get it, disappointment sets in doesn't mean it's the case, but we're going to start journeying through these. And so we're praying that God would speak to us over the next couple of weeks, and we're praying that God would speak to us in some of these things that he might begin to unveil some things before I even get on a stage next week, maybe some things that we don't even talk about for you. Where's your sanctuary? Where do you go when you need to get away? And if, if five o'clock happy hour is your place, you might have an idol. There might be some places that are unhealthy that you don't know. Wouldn't so the idea is to take one of these a day. That's just one I did. Just but take and start praying through them and spending some time meditating on our history, our answers to these questions. And here's the third thing. You don't have to do this. The first two are easy. Pray. Third thing you could do. Pick up the book God's at War by Kyle Alderman. If you didn't take a picture of it, those list of questions came out of that book. Again, I'm using it real heavily. Not a, whole lot of, not a whole lot of original material here. Um, but, what, but what's going to happen, though, is you're going to hear my perspective on some of the topics he's talking about. It's not all going to be the same. But if there is some things, a story that's repeated or a scripture that's repeated, it's just going to put it back in your heart. Get on Amazon and, and grab that book and maybe start reading it or reading it as a family. But my question or my, or my, my ask is this week is that we would, if nothing else, start praying that God would prepare us to do journey work during the next four weeks. Close with this story, and then we'll put the, the words back up, the things. About. Hey, David, you can go ahead and put them back up now. They can take pictures if they need them. G.R. Vassar, who's a pastor in Texas, uh, tells a story about a trip he was in Myanmar, Burma. And he said he saw something while he was there that just that, that, that shook him. As he's walking through and seeing people in the culture, of course, it's an eastern uh, 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 country that worships Eastern gods and things like that. Um, and so he walked up and there was a bunch of poor people and they were all coming to this Buddha statue and they were putting in all of their money 
to this Buddha statue, bowing down to it and praying for it. And he said the thing that stood out to him, though, was on the backside of the Buddha that everybody was worshiping at, there was scaffolding and people that were fixing the Buddha all up. And he said in that moment, it was just this picture. And he said, I looked at this picture, and what I saw was broken people coming to a broken Buddha to ask the broken Buddha to fix their broken lives, all while other people were actively trying to fix the broken Buddha. What a great image. And every one of our idols, every one of our idols is as broken as that Buddha is. They won't satisfy. They won't give you what you're looking for. Only God does, and that's why God says, no other gods before me. Get all of your idols out of my way, out of my presence, because one, I rightfully deserve your worship, and two, I know what's best for you. So the course of this week, let's begin this conversation at home. If you don't know how the YAP works, um, somebody in your small group can show you. If they can't, I'll be in the back, I'll show you. But the YAP is a tool on your phone uh, that you can download as an app that's got questions, just three. Three questions every week to discuss with your kids about this topic. Next week, there'll be three more. Each series, there's a section of family ideas of things that you could do as a family to go deeper into this conversation over the course of the next five weeks. So if you don't have that, find it, use it. Uh, One of the things that we'll have as well, and I don't know, Dave, if we have it at the end, because we know that people forget to do that. We've set up and we've had to reboot it up, but remind.com, you can uh, subscribe to a text alert, and a couple times a week, we will text you about 6 o'clock at night and say, hey, don't forget the app, so that you can go, oh, that's a great thing, and maybe hopefully it'll hit you while you're sitting at dinner or something like that, and you can have a spiritual conversation sitting around the table at home. I'm going to pray for you and then let you sit in your small groups and discuss.